We think that they're different. And so that separation, in my mind, that is the root of poverty, is the root of gender inequality, is the root of racism, is, is, is that separateness. Mm. And in my mind, empathy is the antidote to separateness. Empathy is like the wrecking ball that breaks down the walls that we have in our mind that th- that make us think we're separate. Separateness is what makes us think, it makes us justified in taking fucking horrific actions because we actually were saying, well, they're different, yeah. therefore we can treat them this way, mm-hmm. right? Hey, everybody. Today, my guest is Taylor Conroy. Taylor is an incredible TED speaker, a social entrepreneur, and a very interesting guy, kind of a surfer meditative type. He's got a lot to share about understanding people, empathizing, and spreading a message of empathy around the world. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I find that each phase of life that I'm in um, is reflected in my surroundings. Mm -hmm. So like how I feel inwardly is typically, it needs to be in alignment with where I am. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was living in Venice for two years. Loved it. Venice is wonderful and great for a specific time in life. Right. It was, I was just like really active entrepreneur, always needing to be in meetings and running a big team and all this kind of stuff. And at, at, after this company didn't work anymore, we decided that we would wind it down. I had this awakening. I was like, wait a sec, I don't need to be here anymore in Venice where the water kind of smells like piss. And, um, and there's plastic in the, you know, I can't surf there every day. The water, the the waves are just absolutely terrible. Right. And so I would always go down to Encinitas to, um, to relax and to unwind out Mm -hmm. of the city. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wouldn't it be amazing to get to live in the place that I went to unwind and I feel the most calm, you know, and there's dolphins swimming by and whales and surf every day. And so it was literally like December, uh, December 30th or December 30th. I think it's December 31st. Uh, and I decided, fuck this. I'm not, I'm not starting a year in Venice. I, the numbers and dates are very important to me. And, okay. um, and so I, I went down to Encinitas and a friend said that I could stay in their place for four days. And I said, cool, that's all I need to get started. And I mm-hmm. stayed there and then ended up renting a room off of them for six months. Um, and then got my first place, my next place, the next place. And this all coincided you, you thought you answered a simple question, asked a simple question, but <laughs> it's more complex in that. I'm, I'm learning the, that with you. The move, yeah, the more the move to Encinitas was also at the same time where I was coming out of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I was like, I, I went through personal bankruptcy in 2000, end of 2016 is when it started, and it's Canadian bankruptcy, so it lasts nine months. So I was coming uh-huh. out of it near the end of 2017. Yeah. And so I was getting to this point where I could now kind of start a business again and, 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 and get back out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so my journey there was like renting a room, uh, actually renting half of a room, right? I had to share it with another guy. I had renting half of a room, then renting uh, my own place kind of up the street. And, and the journey was like getting closer and closer to the ocean just because that's where I really wanted to be. Yeah. But at the beginning, I was making like, I remember having a dollar and 12 cents in my bank account when I lived in Venice, right? After this wow. bankruptcy went down. Yeah. And... Uh, which is a deeper story in and of itself, of course, but yeah. that then led to now where it's, it's only been, I guess, 18 months or so since the bankruptcy happened. And, you know, for technical terms, I've made it all back and, and more. Wow. And that is a reflection of like a, a lot of like deep personal work going from fucking bankrupt, like yeah. literally $400,000 in the hole mm-hmm. to now where I've, you know, I can buy the stupid elixir for the cacao drink. Those things are not cheap. That's you know what I mean? Like the cacao that is, yeah. that's actually how I kind of gauge like where I'm at financially is like, what can I go to the grocery store and buy without like worrying about it? Like, yeah. you know, that progression of going, yeah, 
from can I afford this or not to like, well, yeah, I can buy the cacao elixirs all day long. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Those, those moments for, for some people, it's things like, um, you know, when they can go to a restaurant and not have to check the price on the menu. Like yeah. they just know like, oh, I really want the fish. Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it interesting? It's like, we think like, well, how will it feel to be abundant and wealthy? Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, it'll feel great and it'll be freeing and it'll feel all of these things. And mm-hmm. in, in actuality, in my experience, the most joy that comes from having money is actually the feelings that, that I'm not feeling. Mm. I'm not feeling, yep. Oh my God, how am I going to make rent? I'm not feeling, um, uh, I like looking in the fridge. It's a, I mean, it's a basic human need to have food. Right. Yeah. And there was a time in my life, not too, not too long ago where I was drinking Soylent. Mm-hmm. Remember Soylent? Yep. Soylent was like the, the, the terrible, horrendous, um, flavored drink that some coder came up with so that he wouldn't have to stop coding. Right. <laughs> like just give you enough to kind of live. Yeah. Right. And yeah. They look, used to give it away at co-working spaces. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't believe anyone would pay for it. No offense, Soylent, but, um, <laughs> You, you know, and it's like this weird gray drink, yep. right? And, you know, I don't know how much detail you want to go, but it looks the same coming out as it does going <laughs> in. And, and uh, so I remember drinking that, you know, and the feeling of that, of, of scarcity. It yeah. felt scarce, yep. you know, and coming up here actually today was, was pretty surreal because I was driving through Venice on my way here. And Venice is where I, a friend of mine lent me a room for six months because yeah. he's like, I, he knew I couldn't afford rent. So he let me stay in his place for six months. And that's where I had the dollar and 12 cents in my bank account and stuff. And I would stand at the, at the bottom of, of his guest bed at the foot of his guest bed. And I would stand there by myself, door, door closed every morning and every night I would stand there and I would read off, uh, like a statement to myself, right? I'd read off this, this thing saying, basically rehearsing the dinner that I was going to put on, that I was going to have the friends that helped me the most when I went through my hardest times, there are four of them and they helped me. Over and over and over again. You help with most emotionally. Some of them, like one of them just sent me money. They're like, look, uh, you, you, I know you need this right now. Yeah. Another one um, helped me by getting me a, a big speaking gig. And another one helped me with letting me stay at his place and lending me things and buying me groceries and stuff like that in that time. And I never forgot that. And I was like, I would stand at the foot of that bed and read off what I was going to say to them when I could afford to take them to dinner. Wow. Right. And, and, and I was like, and I would write out like, I'm at this restaurant and, and Josh and Mark and Serena and David are there. Those are the people. And, and I'm buying them dinner with ease and I know I can easily afford it. And they're having whatever they want to have to eat, whatever they want to have to drink, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm telling them this and this and this, you know, and telling yeah. them how much they meant to me. Yeah. And then, you know, I just, I guess I just drove by the place that I ended up, I did take them to dinner. Wow. And it was in that experience. It took a few months to get there, of course. You know, it took maybe six months, eight months of, of mm-hmm. real focus on hard yeah. work to get back. But I bought them that dinner. And so coming here was a pretty, you know, cool experience. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that, that that sort of thing. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like to bring that all to fruition. But I think what we're, what we're getting at here, a big part of, of you, you're a storyteller. You're a professional storyteller in a lot of ways. And normally, like, we see stories in these sort of frames, like, a low to high story is a very big one, like what you just told there. Like you were at a low and then you are at a high. Mm-hmm. I saw you give a TED Talk that stunned me. I see it. It's called Reinventing Rock Bottom. And I'm thinking, here's another low to high story. Here's a guy who comes mm-hmm. in and says, you know, oh, I'm, I was at this low. I was yeah. at rock bottom. <laughs> that was a high to low. But, high but, to low but story. So you, had, you went the other way around. <laughs> How did yeah, that go? I, you know what? I just think like... First of all, I'm always like touting that people should be authentic, right? Yep. And I feel like our biggest shame is a cover of 
of our of our biggest maybe it's our deepest wound Mm -hmm. and it's actually our biggest opportunity Mm -hmm. at growth in my mind at personal growth and so when i was in bankruptcy uh someone nominated me nominated me to do a a ted talk a tedx talk and it was going to be my fourth one the other three were just like highlight reels like everything's going great we're building schools all over the world we're crushing it we've just raised millions of dollars you should raise money too yeah something like that very inspiring and I got nominated to do this talk and I was like, ah, oh, shit, this is where, this is where I tell people the, the dark stuff, mm-hmm. the hard stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And I knew very clearly it was my biggest shame. My biggest shame yeah. is that I'd failed. Yeah. You know, I failed uh, at building a company that I absolutely loved. I poured my blood, sweat and tears into it for, for years. Right. And learned a whole bunch of things that I never thought I would need to learn and, and did all the things that I thought I needed to do to mm-hmm. make this company work. And it was meaningful to me on so many levels. This company wasn't just like, you know, I'm selling t-shirts, no offense to t-shirt companies or whatever, but this is the Canadian part of me, but not wanting to offend anyone. <laughs> t-shirt companies are useless. No, um, it, this, but this he's sorry. A, yeah, exactly. But I'm sorry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a dick. Um, <laughs> so but this company was mean, meaningful to me on so many levels. This company was, again, my poor, my blood, sweat and tears into it. It was funding, uh, schools and libraries and water projects and girl scholarships and anti-sex trafficking work and homelessness initiatives and veteran yeah. re- rehabilitation like it was funding projects all over the world tuberculosis research like just incredible things and so when this company went down sure my finances were completely shot you know i was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt because i was funding the company with my own personal loans mm-hmm. um but that work stopped the f- we stopped funding schools yeah you know yeah so it hit me on all these levels, like it hit me on this deep level, this, let's say a soul level of like, I'm doing my, my life's work and now I'm not. Yeah. It hit me on the ego level because I had identified clearly as I'm the successful social entrepreneur. I'm the one who speaks on stages and tells people right. how to be so successful social entrepreneurs. And here I am fucking failing, right? Failing hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like investors pissed, um, teams part of my team's quitting um and having to fire people that weren't quitting you know just just getting by like tooth and nail yeah you know really yeah, you talked about like the sick feeling when you open the email inbox oh my god like dude. i've yeah. had i've had like these little moments like brief moments yeah where like i know there's like terrible things waiting for me when i open the email yeah i can't imagine doing it you know day in yeah, it was absolutely horrendous i remember sitting one time at a desk very much like this in new york and uh I was staying at, at a friend's place and I'm, I'm sitting at this desk and I had to call uh, all 40 investors in the company, right? So I had to call all of them who believed in me. They, yeah. they invested in me and they would all say that, like, you know, Taylor, I'm going to invest in this. The idea, yeah, it's not bad, you know? They're, they're not like, this isn't going to be Uber. This isn't going to be Airbnb <laughs> or something. They're like, I'm investing in it because of you. Yeah. I trust you. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. And I would look in the eyes. I'd say, thank you. Yeah. Let's do this, right? And I remember sitting at that table calling all 40 of them. It took two days to get through all those calls and I called it my own, my own personal hell, that table, because I was calling them and telling them that I had, that their money was gone Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that the company was done, you know, they, they would have liked to break even, of course, at least they would have loved to make money, but they definitely didn't want the the impact to be stopped, you know, Mm -hmm. so that there was a kick and it felt like a, a real punch in the stomach, yeah. you know, and they all reacted differently, which was really fascinating to me. They, mm. that let's, this is something incredible and crazy in my mind. <laughs> it's actually, it's funny cause it's so disturbing that it's funny in that, uh, 
the, the, I remember a gentleman invested $350,000 into the company, 300, 350K. He did that over a dinner, right? This guy was amazing. This, this guy was very heart-centered, uh, had had a recent exit, mm-hmm. um, his own company, did really well, obviously. And he had said to me, he said, how much do you have left in the round? How much do you want to raise? And I said, another 350K. And he thought for a minute, he kind of twiddled his, his fork a bit, and he looked at me, and he's like, yeah, I can do that. And I was like, what do you mean you can do that? Most people mm-hmm. are putting in like 25, 50K, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I can do that. And he did. He sent in 350 grand. So calling him and telling him that it was over really sucked. But his response was, you know what? You tried. You, right. you did the best you could. He said, dust yourself off. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, I'll, I'll advise for you on the next company. I'll help you on the next company. Like, just let me know what I can do. Wow. Yeah, that was his response, $350,000. The guy who put in $250,000, similar response. His response was like, well, what can we do to get this thing going? Mm-hmm. Right? What can we do? To, can, we, can we recover this? The guy, the next big, biggest guy, $100,000, same thing. Let's do, like, can we do a fumble recovery here, Taylor? Like, what if let's reshift things? Let's figure it out. Like, we yeah. want to make this impact. Let's go. Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting. As the lower it went, the worse the replies. <sighs> then it was the $30,000 person who was just like, basically like, lose my number. Right. Yeah. Then it was the $25,000 person who's just like, I never should have trusted you. Yeah. Then it was the $10,000 person, the $10,000 person, two of them who said, first of all, that wasn't actually, 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 that wasn't an investment. That was a loan. I want you to pay me back. I'm like, <laughs> the, the paperwork says otherwise, right. but that was a loan. I want you to pay me back. Yeah. And completely severed our friendship. I was friends with these two people. Mm. They completely said like it was, it was bananas. The more, and, and obviously it's, you say it's bananas and the, the person listening is probably like, if you haven't get raised capital before, it does sound bananas. And, and anyone who's raised capital is like, yep, totally get that. It's because the people that have invested 350, 250, 100, they've invested before. It's not their first investment, right? right? They know not all of them are going to work. They know that the entrepreneur is going to try their balls off. And if it doesn't work, sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they move on. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the early ones, the 10,000, the 25,000 there that to them was like a risk, a big risk. Yeah. They're like, look, Taylor, like you add a zero to this and send it back basically yeah. in three years. Right. right. And so it was my fault for, for taking on, you know, newer investors. Right. Mm-hmm. So live and learn. But that was the, the story that on that TEDx talk, the other thing that you can't see is that I got out there, I did this TEDx talk, and for someone who hasn't seen it, it's called Reinventing Rock Bottom. And I got up there and I, I was in the midst of bankruptcy. The opening line was, hi, I'm Taylor Conroy, I'm 35, and I'm legally bankrupt. And that was the opening, yeah. right? And then and then I went into saying, like, and here's how I got there, yeah. right? I said, I started this social good company, and I started this, and da-da-da. And it, by the way, it's not like I went from, you know, making 50 grand a year to just making zero. You know, I used to, I used to be a millionaire. I was a millionaire yeah. in, my, in real my estate, 20s. right? Yeah, yeah, killed it in real yeah. estate. It was great, great. Yeah. Net market was awesome. Yeah. You know, I worked, worked really hard and made a couple million bucks by the time I was about 26. Yeah. And it went great, and uh, I thought I was untouchable, untouchable. I thought I was like... You know, everything I touched turned to gold. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, and then going from that to then like selling off any properties that I had to fund the company. I remember I had investment in gold, selling that to fund the company, sell, just selling everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Taking a loan from a person, from a friend, and then the company not working. So, anyways, what I'm getting at is like it hit me on all these levels. And at that, at that, on that TEDx talk, sharing that, I knew intuitively there would be power in sharing that deepest shame. Yeah. You know, because I knew if I was feeling it, feeling like I'm siloing away from people, I'm disconnecting from people, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling all of these things. I guarantee other people are feeling like that too mm-hmm. and they're probably not saying it. They're not mm-hmm. telling anyone. And so getting up there and talking about it was the most cathartic experience, the most one of the most healing experiences that I've ever had in my life. 
Because when I got on that stage and told that to the world, in essence, like, you know, now, I don't know, 50,000 people have watched it or something yeah. like that. Uh, maybe more, I don't know. But now that all of those people have watched it and now it's easily accessible, I had now shared the thing that I was the most embarrassed about. So I could walk around after that being like, what, what, what do you got on me? Right. I've told you everything. Yeah. It's out. Yeah. There's have you seen nothing. 8 Mile? What's that? Have you seen 8 Mile with oh, <laughs> I have seen 8 Mile, yeah. yeah. You know the big ending scene? <laughs> I can't remember the ending scene. Oh, in the end, he tells he opens up with all the dirt that the other guy has oh, on him. Yeah. It's a big rap battle. And he's like, what do you got on me? Like, Yeah, like now what? Yeah. And then and then that's the end. Yeah, and that was and that was incredible. And you know, this amazing thing happened after the TEDx talks. I walked off stage mm-hmm. and I went to the back room, the speaker room. I got on all hands my hands and knees. I just started bawling my face off. Because yeah. it had all come out. I just started bawling. I started dry heaving, like, what? What? Like it was like this energetic purge. Yeah. It was this like, whoa, getting this like dark shame, guilt thing out of me. Yeah. And it's incredibly healing. And from there, you know, I I haven't told many people this story, but I got in the car, you know, a friend had lent me their car and I remember, I mean, I did the TEDx talk on a pair of pants that my friend had given to me and a $6 white t-shirt, no shoes because right. I didn't have shoes, nice enough shoes to wear the talk. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't, who knows where I got the boxers, but, um, maybe those were leftovers. And I got in the car and I started driving up to, uh, see a friend. I saw these two hitchhikers on the side of the road and I, I was like, wow, those guys, they, they don't even have a car. I mean, at least I've got a car, mm. you know, that someone lent me. Yeah. And so I turned around, I picked them up and I just had this amazing experience doing the TEDx talk. And I had about a two hour drive in front of me and I picked them up and I asked them, you know, where they're from, what they're doing. And they're fruit pickers and they're from, from uh, Quebec to the French part of uh, Canada. And, and they were telling me the fruit pickers and, uh, and what they do. And they told me some stories are really interesting. I said, how long have you guys been hitchhiking for? They're like, oh, we've been out there for like five hours. I was like, okay. And it was, you know, the afternoon. I was like, have you eaten today? They're like, no, we haven't eaten today. I was like, well, let's, let's go eat some food, right? What do you want? Yeah. And like, we want Wendy's. Like, we want Wendy's. I don't have my, my French accent, but we go to Wendy's and they're looking at me and they're like, you know, like what, what can we order? I'm like, dude, anything you want, order anything. And mm. they're like, they're like, really? Like, can, can I have a poutine? Right. Poutine is like this, <laughs> yeah. like French Canadian thing. And yeah, I was like, yeah, have fucking five poutines. Go for it. You know, they rang up a bill of total of like $19 or maybe it was $29 or something yeah. like that total. Right. Yeah. And they were over the moon right. grateful for this. And I remember thinking like, wow. And I thought I had it tough. Like what a, what a, what a privileged way. I, it was a, it was a stark contrast mm-hmm. to my difficult times comparatively. Right. I don't want to like demean my times or anything mm-hmm. like that. And I do want to acknowledge that my rock bottom is a pretty luxurious rock bottom mm-hmm. comparatively mm-hmm. to let's say 80% of the world. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about the world, yeah. right. The, the opportunities that I have. And so that was a big wake up call being like, I have, I have all the, I have all the opportunity in the world mm-hmm. and I'm going to use it. And stuff shifted in a big way after getting rid of that shame and guilt and like realizing the opportunity that I that I have. I've always known that I've had a lot of opportunity in just yeah. where I was born and who the, my family, my upbringing, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then things things started to shift and turn around in a big way after letting go of that shame and that guilt. That was step number one. Yeah, and then this this human experience that kind of puts it all into perspective again. You a lot oh, of, yeah a lot of what you talked about is is how you take people out on these experiences. How, how do you see things shaping people when you take them out to places, third world countries, building houses? You know, you know, we talked earlier about earlier than this. I think that having a deep, meaningful experience, whether it be building a house or, um, going to a center for survivors of sex trafficking Mm -hmm. or, um, 
building a well, whatever it might be, a deep, meaningful experience, we look at it like it's about building the house. It's never about building the house, yeah. right? It's about something deeper. And yeah. what these experience experiences, we by the way, we, we helped build uh, 150 homes. With our, we brought travelers down. We'd build homes for families um, living in underdeveloped um, communities throughout you know, Colombia, Nicaragua, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Mexico, all over Latin America. And what would come up for them was really fascinating. It would bring up their stuff. It would bring up some deep stuff, you know. Oh, the travelers? The, their own stuff. The travelers. Yeah, yeah sorry. We'd bring up the traveler stuff. Yeah. And we would give them three days after the, the build. We'd bring them to like a healing center or like a yoga retreat center, a surf retreat center kind of thing. Give them time to integrate what the experience that they had just had. And when there's, it, it's an opportunity for these things to come up because when these things come up, we can actually realize what's actually like kind of running our lives, right? Like why are we doing the things that we're doing? So for me, it brought up like, why am I trying to be Mr. Social Good? You know, on the surface, it's like, well, because some people need schools and some people need homes, but deep down under the surface as are under my surface, I'm trying to prove that I'm good enough. Mm. You know, that that's a layer in it. Yes. Yeah. It's about the schools. Yes. It's about the homes. Yeah. Yes. It's about people needing a roof over their head. And part of it's also about Taylor trying to prove that he's good enough yeah. to his fucking mom and dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I wanted, I wanted my parents to think that I was a good kid. Totally. I didn't think that they thought I was a good kid growing up. Mm. So here's this guy in his mid thirties trying to te- prove to mom and dad that he's a good kid, you know? Yeah. So I think it's so powerful to know where these things come from, to look at them, right? Like, you know, we talked about to you in the kitchen, right? Yeah. Like you're leading people, you're teaching people to lead because some of the leaders in your life fucked up. Right. It's a driver for sure. Yeah. And it's like, and, and, and then like you, like I'm, I'm a grown man. <laughs> yeah. How has that shaped your life? How does that, how did that moment, how has that moment played out for you in your life over and over again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still act out of those wounds for sure. And I, and when you were talking about, you know, how you've, you've been driven to do so many great things, I, I want to be super present to you, but then I keep reflecting like, oh, that's why I wanted to go to an Ivy league school. Like that's why, why I wanted to why do you want to go, why did you want to go to because I wanted everyone to know that I'm really powerful and impressive that I can really get shit done and like that was that was a stamp like I remember I had I had options and like there were other schools that were probably better fit in a lot of ways but I saw this one and it was like no this is a stamp of approval like this says I'm good and I wanted that really bad and that was that was a huge driver for sure yeah yeah it's like looking back at like where, and no fault, right? No, no one's going to be like 18 and just be like, I'd love for a lot of people to be 18 and making decisions from their soul and their like soul's calling. Mm -hmm. And we were born into this world completely helpless and, and had to, for years had to trust the people that we were with, right? We had to trust wounded people to, 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 to to form us. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, so your question on this, you know, the, the trips, the experiences was, in, re- in reality, the reason for doing the trips was an experiment. Okay. okay. Again, it looked like we're going to go down. We're going to build 50 homes for, for families that need a roof over their head. They're living in slum conditions. And that, again, on the surface looks very um, lovely and altruistic. And it is. And there's another level. It's multi- multifaceted. For me, it was this experiment. Can I find a way? Can I find a predictable, replicable method for increasing the empathy in a human being? 
right? Can I, I saw this pattern every time I would listen to the founder of a nonprofit or some sort of a movement, like let's say like the people that are really shifting humanity, that are increasing consciousness, the people that are, that are out there leading the charge, over and over and over again, and I'll use a couple examples, like the the founder of Free the Children, uh, it's now called We, we.org, um, the founder of Free the Children, Craig Kielberger, he went on a trip when he was like 11 or 12 years old, and that shit changed him. Yeah. Okay, he went on this trip to India, he saw kids picking through the garbage and sorting syringes with their bare hands, right? He sees this, and it changed him as a human being. He came back on fire, and he's been on fire ever since, and he's catalyzed a movement that, is, that has impacted millions and millions of people all over the world, mm-hmm. right, from a trip. Scott Harrison, who started Charity Water, yeah. I don't know how many water wells they funded yeah. and helped to build uh, through Charity Water, but I'm, I'm guessing thousands now, or tens of thousands, I don't know, but I'm just saying that there's like a, a lot of people in countries all over the world that have clean drinking water because of charity water mm-hmm. and the reason that charity water started is because of scott harrison the reason scott harrison started charity water is because he went on a trip he was a nightclub promoter making shit tons of cash had the rolex and all the kind of things yeah. right he's like had a big kind of come to jesus moment but quite literally he is a christian mm. um and anyways so this is a tip it doesn't matter if you're christian or buddhist or whatever he went through this experience where he went to liberia on a uh i think it's not doctors for the borders but the the ship that's like the emergency ship Maybe it was Doctors of the Borders. Anyways, uh, a Red Cross mobile hospital, okay? okay? Ship that's a hospital. Goes to Liberia. He's oh, probably a one of the Navy ones. Probably the, the USS Comfort or USS Mercy. Something like that, yeah. Uh-huh. Mercy Ships, that's what it's called. Okay. I'm glad you said Thank you. Okay. Yeah, Mercy Ships he goes to. And uh, I, I think, anyways, it doesn't matter. He's there. Mm-hmm. He's phot- ph- photographing uh, there. That's what he's brought on to do is t- to take photographs. That trip shifted him so much inside that he came back and he started Charity Water. And all of these people have clean drinking water because this one dude went on a fucking trip. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He went on this experience. And what I look at that is, or you look at John Wood, John Wood, high-level uh, executive at Microsoft, doing his thing, making lots of money. He's on, he was on uh, vacation in, maybe my memory's a bit jo- foggy today, but uh, I want to say Tibet, close to Tibet. Mm-hmm. Goes on this hike and... And long story short, decides that he needs to build libraries all over the world. Started with him shipping books over there. Then he starts building libraries. He opens more libraries than Starbucks opens cafes. That's a stat, right? And again, you know, hundreds if not thousands of libraries all over the world because this guy goes on a trip and has this incredible experience. And so I started thinking, wow, this is a really interesting pattern. What if other people went on trips like that? And by the way, it was a trip that changed me. I went on a trip to Kenya and Uganda, mm-hmm. and I was on this exploratory mission. I came back on fire. I'm like, I'm going to raise money to build schools. We raised enough money to build 500 schools, libraries, water projects, girls' scholarships, anti-sex trafficking work all over the world because one dude went on a trip. Right. This is, I'm like, wait a second. What if we could scale that? What if we could give that experience to people en masse yeah. and therefore increase the empathy in a human being and therefore they couldn't walk by? If we Empathy is that thing. Like if, you have, if you're highly empathetic, it's very hard to walk by someone on the street who doesn't have you know, food to eat. Right. It's very hard to know that a huge percentage of our world is living in poverty, is, is living below the line, is living in, in, in conditions that do not even come close to meeting Maslow's hierarchy of needs, even the base level. Yeah. Right. When you have a high level of empathy, you if you have a like very high level of empathy, ideally it doesn't need to be excruciatingly high. But when you have high enough level of empathy, you don't see the racial divide, mm-hmm. right? Because you realize that no matter what your race, you're a fucking human being, right? I, I, doesn't it blow you away that that's actually still a thing on this earth? <laughs> you oh, would, you would think. It's a thing in this country, whatever, yeah. this different podcast, but <laughs> like the racial divide, yeah. right? The gender gender inequality, mm-hmm. like I, yes, 
we're men, X and Y chromosome, right? Got it. Women, two X chromosomes. Like that's the difference, right? But we actually treat women completely different en masse all over the world because we think we're different, because we think we're separate. We think we're separate from someone who's born in a different country, has a different skin color, has a different sexual orientation, has a different gender, whatever it might be. We think that they're different. And so that separation, in my mind, that is the root of poverty, is the root of gender inequality, is the root of racism, is is, is that separateness. Mm. And in my mind, empathy is the antidote to separateness. Empathy is like the wrecking ball that breaks down the walls that we have in our mind that th- that make us think we're separate. Separateness is what makes us think, it makes us justified in taking fucking horrific actions because we actually were saying, well, they're different, yeah. therefore we can treat them this way, mm-hmm. right? So what if we could create a, a mechanism where you could cre- you could increase empathy predictably in a human being? That was the whole goal. Yeah. That was the, the idea of the, of the trips. That was the idea of change heroes, getting people to raise money. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was about the money, but it was more about transforming human beings en masse. It was more about raising consciousness en masse. It was right. more about raising the vibration of the planet in a predictable fashion mm-hmm. rather than the Craig Kielbergers, the Scott Harrisons, the John Woods being the, the anomalies in the world. Wow, that guy's making a big difference. Fuck that. Why isn't everyone <laughs> making a big difference, right? Yeah. So that's why we took... You know, how many people did we even take on these trips? 600, 700 people on these trips. They would build the home that they helped to raise money for with their bare hands, with the family that's going to live in it, with a bunch of local volunteers. You know, and yes, it's part of a holistic approach. It's part of job training for the, for the adults, the adults or the, the homeowners contributed to the house. There's a high sense of ownership. So I'm kind of, I can hear the people that have a back background in charity being like, are you just building houses for people and then leaving? You know, <laughs> it's much more in depth than that. And we only have so much time on this podcast, but that was what it was about is give them that experience. And I got to watch, I got to watch 150 people, a lot of them with my own eyes sitting there watching them finish that house, watching them like hold a ribbon across the door, right. watching the person cut the ribbon, walk into the house for the first time. That person is crying. It's the first time they've ever had, you know, like a brand new safe, dry place to call home and the fucking dignity that comes with having a place yes. to call home. And I got to watch the person who helped raise the money and helped build, build the, the home, them crying. And I could watch, I could see, see it in their face. I'm like, I could see the empathy scale rising. Yeah. You know, I could see the heart growing bigger. And mm-hmm. I was like, in my mind, I'd be like, yeah, you'll never be the same. Yeah. You know, like good luck going back to good luck going back to normal life and perpetuating this preposterous notion that we are separate from other human beings and being able to walk down the street and being fine with this person not having enough food to eat or fine with this child not having health care and being fine with all those things. When you go through an experience like that, all that bullshit that we accept as normal is not fine anymore. Mm -hmm. And when something's not fine anymore, you actually have to do something about it because if you don't do something about it, you're not in line with your soul anymore because your soul has been uncovered a little bit more and it's like breaking through. And if you don't, if you're not in line with that, that's what, that's when you get the midlife crises. That's when you get depression. That's when you get anxiety. Or let's say those are contributors to those, to those symptoms or those outcomes when you're not in alignment with what your soul's purpose is excuse me it's cool and and that's when you have that's when the body is like slapping you like you need to change you need to do something yeah. about this it's the universe's way i'd be like getting you on track and then yeah. more and more people we get are waking up to their soul's purpose more and more people are waking up to like why we're on this earth why millions of us were sent here to do this work right yeah and that's what's going to lead to a better world yeah it sounds like your vision of this this scaling empathy it sounds like it's a driver in, in a similar way that we talked about being wounded being a driver, but this could be 
sort of the inverse, that it, mm-hmm. it brings people to do great things in a special way. Yeah, I think we, we get so caught up in wanting to do things, being motivated, hustle and grind, all of yeah. this kind of stuff, because we're going towards a goal. And we sometimes we forget the shadows. You know, one of the things that I, a quote that I really love by Osho, he says, for a tree's branches to reach heaven, its roots have to reach hell. Mm. For a tree's branches to reach heaven, its roots have to reach hell. Mm. And that makes sense, right? If, it, if a tree's growing all the way up to heaven, it's got like shallow roots, the yeah. darkness, yeah. it's going to, it's going to fall over. It's mm-hmm. not going to make it mm-hmm. right. But the deeper that we go into our dark, the more, the further that we can go in our light. If you identify with Jesus and say that guy was, he's the man really loved him. You have to be able to identify with Hitler. Hmm. You can't do one. It's, you can't hmm. choose one or the other. Hmm. They're both the, we have them on a spectrum of good and evil, hmm. right? And in reality, they're just, they're on the spectrum. You cannot go f- further into good than you have gone into your own, further into light than you've gone into your own dark. Mm. That's a part of this experience. To see the humanity in all of it. Yeah, this is part of our experience. If mm-hmm. you think that the people that committed the Rwandan genocide just were a whole shit ton of bad people at the wrong time, and you can't identify that, you know what? If you grew up in those exact same conditions, you would have started the chopping. Mm. It's uncomfortable. If you, yeah, and I'll, I'll be the first one to say it. If I grew up in Rwanda in the exact same conditions as the people that committed the, the genocide in the, in the mid, early mid-90s, I would have been part of committing that genocide. Mm. I wholeheartedly believe that. Mm. And in embracing that fucking dark, that shit, that yeah, there's a murderer in here, and guess what? There is in there, and in anyone who's living, living here or listening to this, the darkest shit is in you. At the same time, immediately you can recognize that the lightest, wonderful, mm. sparkly puppy dogs rainbows is in you as well. And then you get to, you can be in that spectrum and you can enjoy all of it. You can embrace your dark as part of this human experience. Yeah. How do you, how do you get people to like, are there, are there triggers that you know are going to bring this? Cause I went on a trip to Haiti, uh, maybe 2012 and I want to say that I was there to like really be changed. But I got there and then I was kind of like, what do I do here? Like I thought, are we going to build a house or dig a well or something? That, that didn't happen. And I, I came back and I kind of felt like, oh, I didn't, I guess I didn't give that my all or I didn't, I didn't get the thing. I don't know. What brought you there in the first place? It was just, um, it was like a, it was a group, like a spring break um, group when I was in grad school. And they were yeah. like, you know, we're going to go to, to Haiti and like help people and it's going to be this good thing. And I just thought like, okay, I'm in Let's go. Let's yeah. let's try this. I'd never done anything like that. I never left the country except to go to Canada. Yeah. Um, so I, it was all new for me. And the whole time I was tense. Like I can remember afterwards we did like a debrief. We didn't have a nice three day like you guys have. But we had a one day and you could chart your mood over the days. And I found that I was at my lowest in the middle of the trip. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to get back to my creature comforts. Yeah. Like something's not right here and I'm yeah. tired. And I, I, I felt like I never let myself get into it in the way that other people did. Did you contribute financially to when you, did you buy the trip? Yep. Okay. And, uh, but you know, other people fundraised and I just, I just cut a check. Here's, here's the difference that, that I've seen anyways. And I'd love to say it wasn't so, but you know, we brought, like I said, 600 people on these trips, excuse me. And, uh, some people bought the opportunity to take selfies with, um, poor people. Hmm. And some people went to build a fucking house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And some people, or yeah. And some people went on a trip with their friends. Yeah. And some people went on a trip to learn about themselves. Mm-hmm. And some people did all of that. Mm-hmm. 
and it's all okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not judging it. Yeah. And if you go there to take a picture, a selfie with, with people that have less resources than you, now I'm getting politically correct. And now if you, <laughs> if you go there to take, to take those kind of selfies, it's about you, mm-hmm. right? And the whole trip's going to be about you. And if you're, if you're totally focused inward on you and we don't have these comforts kind of thing that are, fo- that are here to make us comfortable, it's going to be incredibly uncomfortable, right? If you're there to build a fucking house, then you're going to do whatever you need to do to build that house. Yeah. Right. And that's what we saw is at the beginning. And here's a, a, a let's say a sharing, I was going to call it a rant, but a sharing on <laughs> some of the perils of social entrepreneurship is or here's, here's a share on, on somewhere we got stuck with social entrepreneurship is this, is that you're leveraging uh, uh, existing financial models to create impact in the world, right? So the mm-hmm. social enterprise is typically, a f- it's, it's mixed. But this, the way that I look at social enterprise is it's a for-profit company, right? Okay, so you're lever- leveraging existing financial models, business, et cetera, in, in corporations, et cetera, to accomplish a, a, a social initiative. So let's say building homes, mm-hmm. okay? Or transforming people. And you're still it's still a startup. It's still a company. You still has to make money. The lifeblood of any company, nonprofit, for profit, yep. is money. Yep. The lifeblood is money. And so us, when we started our when we started Journey, the travel company, we started it to build a bunch of homes, transform people, increase empathy, et cetera, et cetera. And so we would we would raise money. The first trip that we did, we I think we raised sixty or seventy thousand dollars, and we we built twenty two homes on our first trip to El Salvador. Every person that was on that trip had funded a house. You couldn't come on the trip unless you had funded a house. Yeah. It was be- beautiful. It was pure, mm-hmm. for lack of better terms. It was like they were there because they had put in the blood, sweat, and tears to raising the money. Raising three thousand dollars isn't a cakewalk. You know, yeah. like that's a lot of people to give to give twenty bucks. So, anyways, all of these people had put in that time and effort to raise that money. Because they had the focus, I'm going to go and help build this home because these families, you know, they don't have a roof over their head. Mm. So on that trip, everyone was incredibly engaged. Everyone loved it. Everyone was grateful. Everyone was resilient. Everyone everyone did what needed to get done. The, all the homes got finished being built because there was so much commitment, mm-hmm. right? They got finished being built in two days. They're prefabricated homes. can go up in two days if you're working really fast. Um with high quality and all the, all the homes got built in two days. They had an incredible time, zero complaints from those travelers. Everything was great. Right. Then we went to the integration part where we, you know, did went to the surf place. Everyone loved it. The the whole experience was incredible. The next trip that we did, we're like, let's test out people being able to like buy their way into the trip. Okay. Right. And then that way that people can bring their friends. That was okay. But we started getting more complaints because when you buy something, you have expectation, right? You're like, I bought this. Like I want the hotel room with the, you know, the fluffy pillow, not the sleeping bag, <laughs> sleeping outside a schoolhouse. Right. Which is what we would do sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so the expectations went up and that being said, that's how we needed to make, we needed to make money sure. to survive. Right. Sure. So we, the model started to gently shift gently as in like, almost like we couldn't even quite see it. Yeah. It was shifting so slowly towards we make more money if someone buys a trip than we do someone raising money and then them coming on the trip. Cause there's no, there's the resources in a startup are limited, right? There wasn't resources to have someone. We didn't allocate resources to have someone who's just manning all of the fundraisers. All their job is doing is helping people raise money. Mm. Right. And so the trips shifted from $60,000 of impact funding on that first trip to $40,000 and more travelers and $20,000 of impact funding and more travelers and $10,000 of impact funding and more travelers. And one time we did a trip with $5,000 of impact funding and like 30 or 40 travelers. Now they're painting, painting a school, putting up some shelves, 
doing very low, uh, let's say low impact work Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And the complaints from the travelers goes up. Their experiences like that. They feel awkward. They feel out of place because they're not actually connected to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And they're not connected to what they're doing. They don't feel like they should be doing it. So then they complain Mm -hmm. because they want to put their shit on you, on the person who organized the trip. The trip actually wasn't that good. No, you just didn't get involved. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and that's, that's that, that was some of the perils of that, of that company. And so that's why now that company is done. Yeah. Uh, I, at some point I just totally lost interest in it because I was like, we're not actually making a, a huge impact in the world. Yeah. We're not scaling empathy because these people are now complaining about their trips. They're not feeling it the way they need to feel right. it. Right. So now I'm committed. Like we've got a trip coming up at the end of November. We're going to go to Mexico. We're going to build 30 homes in two days. The only people that are allowed, allowed on that trip have funded those homes, mm-hmm. right? They're allowed to bring a friend. But that's to like, so they've got someone that they can bond with. We found that that increases the experience for both people. So you have to raise money to be able to, to be on that trip, or at least you know, community given to your friends campaign. So there's gonna be 30 people all raised money to be, be part of the have been raised money to be part of the trip, and are all gonna have that experience. Are there for that reason? All of our communications are different. Rather than come on this trip at seven days, it's gonna be an amazing <laughs> experience. It's like do not fucking come on this trip if you're gonna complain. Do not come on this trip if you're not willing to sleep in a sleeping bag outside the schoolhouse. So you stay in the experience. Do not come on this trip if you're not gonna wear you know sunscreen and a hat and like. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all of the things. That's the best. Just weed them out. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Like yeah. self-select out if you're a prima donna. Yeah. Beat it. We yeah. don't want you here. We don't need your money. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, anyways, that's the trip that we're doing. And we'll still do that integration, which I think is imperative. If we're going to build homes for three days on this trip. Then we're going to have three days at this this place called Hotel of the Light, which has a chakra therapy pool. It's got amazing meditations and a pyramid hike. It's the place where the Mayan god Quetzalcoatl was born. It's got like a... Uh, sound bath so it's all these things to when people's stuff comes up Mm -hmm. during this experience it's time for them to deal with it and integrate it and then leave that experience knowing exactly how they want to go out into the world Mm -hmm. whether they want to start their own nonprofit, whether they want to start a a social enterprise whether they want to integrate giving into their you know business model Mm -hmm. whatever it is they know what they want to do because they've had the time to like let it sink in right feel all the feels right rather than having like that heavy moment when you see a big american grocery store and, and feeling like Exactly. Whoa, too much. Exactly. Rather than reverse culture shock. Yeah. Coming back and being like, oh, wow, I could have anything I want from all over the world by just walking into Whole Foods. Right. And I was just on the other side of that plane ride. I was with, you know, a village that um, could barely sustain themselves on the agricultural initiatives that they've got going. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is the trajectory of the organization lately or the new organization. What's been your trajectory since rock bottom i mean you know we've heard that one and you know rice and beans and stuff what happened since then for you you know there's this big notion in society Mm -hmm. in my experience that we think that once we have the nice car the house in malibu or whatever it is once we have that Mm -hmm then we will be able to do the things that we want to do, right? Like surf every day or whatever it is. And then we'll be able to be the person that we want to be. Yeah. Right. Which is happy. Yeah. Right. And in reality that it's all backwards. It does. That's not how it works. It's never worked like that. Again, you know that, right? Like it's not about like what you have and therefore you can do things and you can be a certain way. It's complete. It's just flip it. Mm. It's be then do then have. And what I mean by that is that I knew when I was in the, the rock, the rock bottom spot yeah. where I, you know, could barely pinch two pennies together that 
I needed to be the abundant, wealthy, happy, positive, uplifting, Mm -hmm. inspiring Mm -hmm. human, inspired human before those things, the other things would come. Right. And so I spent a lot of time from that spot of, let's call it ground zero coming out of, out of, of bankruptcy. The first thing I spent money on was a personal development course, a week long deep dive into like me, what made me tick? What's the shit that I'm holding on to from, from the past? What's the stuff that I've holding on to from mom and dad that, that that doesn't serve me? You know, it was personal development course. It was starting to drink really high quality water, starting to treat my body really well. It's just starting to respect myself. It was starting to do the affirmations, like the gentle stuff. Like I love myself. I accept myself. I am enough. I am enough. That's a big one for me. I am enough. Yeah. Right. And like, that, that's s- hard. Like I can see like yeah. you, you share what I, I feel sometimes. And I know a lot of men who are driven. Like I've mm-hmm. seen the bodybuilding pictures of you. Yeah. That takes a crazy drive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, exactly. It takes a crazy driver. It takes a lot of, a lot of running from old wounds. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and the, <laughs> the two are, are linked or, yeah, exactly. or parallel or something. Yeah. At some point it all makes sense to us, but at the moment it's just fascinating. I'd say. I'm, but, I'm still in the fascination phase, I think, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're, you're moving through it. Yeah, thanks. I'm down with the fascination phase. I don't think I'll ever have it figured out. Hopefully, hopefully not, because yeah. I think that's as soon as we'll get ejected from this earth, right? Yeah. But so far, so good. So far, it feels good to just not know. Yeah. And so from that phase, it was like deep dive into personal development, really trying to treat myself well, mm-hmm. to respect myself, to tell myself that I'm enough, to get my confidence back up kind yeah. of thing. And so from, from there, it was then getting really, I like to listen I ra- rather than like, like dictating to life what is going to happen, I'm going to achieve this goal. That's what's happening, and I'm writing my affirmations out, and I'm going to fucking be a millionaire. This is what I did. Spent my twenties doing right? right. It was like putting the universe in a headlock and be like, get fucking ready. We're going. Yeah. This On March first, I will have a million in the bank. On March first, I will exactly, yeah. and I will feel happy. <laughs> you know. Yeah. If people will respect me, damn it, dad will finally love me. Or what, yeah. you know? yeah. <laughs> That's what really is being said. But that was my 20s was just putting the universe in a headlock. And now I'm a huge uh, proponent of listening to what the universe wants. Mm-hmm. Right? So any I do the affirmations. I sure. have the goals. Sure. But those are based on what the universe wants of me. Yeah. Right? That's me sitting a lot in quiet, doing sweat lodges, doing mm. plant medicine ceremonies, doing mm. psychedelics, doing my stuff. Right? And I don't need those things to go deep. I'm a, I love meditate, meditating. I meditate every day. It's the most, the cornerstone of my life, right? And I also am an advocate for those things too, to take you deeper on Mm -hmm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's in those experiences of meditation and deep silence where I heard this cool saying one time that says that uh, praying is you talking to God Mm. or praying is you talking to the universe, Mm. praying is you talking and meditating is you listening. Mm. And so I really like to get really quiet and listen and, and listen to my body. Like, what do you, what do you want? Right. And your body doesn't necessarily just want food. It can say like, you could do this. You could say, you know, what do you want? Do you want to be a speaker? You mm-hmm. feel in your body. How does that feel? You want to write a book? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, you do. Okay, cool. What's it going to be on leadership? Yes. Is, you know what I mean? Like you can yeah. ask yourself those questions. Yes. That's how the, how the universe in my mind communicates with us. Right. Yeah. It's like through our body, through our senses and, and our experiences. And so I would just get really quiet and listen and, I got really clear that it was time. It's going to sound a bit weird, but it was time to prepare for a family. Oh. I got a clear hit. I didn't have a girlfriend, not even a prospect of a girlfriend. Yeah. Right. And those are needed typically to procreate. Um, I've heard I mean, that. not those, one of them at least. Um, whoa. <laughs> Let's just say one. Okay. For a different <laughs> podcast. Um, you need one of those to, to, to start a family, but it was very clear. It was time to prepare for a family. 
Yeah. And so I was like, got it, listening. So I wrote, I would just sit there and write down like, how much money does it take to raise a family in Southern California? How do I want to eat? Where do I want to live? How much does that, that rent cost? How much does that mortgage payment cost? I got mm. really clear on all of that kind of stuff. My Capricorn brain loves planning. And so I was like, got really clear on all that kind of stuff that I wanted. Then I made the affirmations around that, right? I have this, I have a family, I have da 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 da. And same thing for work, right? Like I was, mm. I was Mr. House Builder School Guy at the time, and that was my, my ego is completely attached to that. I'm the social do gooder. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And just because it's a social, you're a social do gooder or you're a stockbroker, the ego attaches to both equally, mm. right? They're both equally unhealthy. They can be if they're attached to in an unhealthy way. And I had fully attached to, I am the school guy, I'm the good guy, yeah. right? And I had attached to that. But yet when I would listen, everything was going off. It was not working in the homes. It was not working in the schools. Our trips kept getting canceled. We had a trip to Colombia that was canceled because of the national election getting heated. And our trip was supposed to be on the same day. We're like, no worries. Pivot to Guatemala. Cool. We'll do Guatemala. Volcanic eruption happens. Cancel Guatemala. Let's do Nicaragua. Civil war breaks out. Cancel Nicaragua. We're like, we literally cannot go anywhere. And we're just bleeding money because we don't have a trip happening, right? Where where we can actually sell tickets. Anyways, and we're not giving people refunds. It's a very tough time. So everything was saying no in that direction. Yet, and so I would get, I would listen to it really clear and I go, okay, what do you want? And whatever you want, ego aside, what do you want? And the message was get people TED Talks, Mm. which I found the most anticlimactic message that I'd ever heard. I was like, that sounds lame. Like really universe? That's what, because people kept coming to me. Yeah. Right. I had done four TEDx talks. I had helped a bunch of people like just on the side, get them. And it was so easy for me. I find getting someone TED, TED talk for me is like cakewalk. Yeah. yeah that's your gift. No problem. For sure. Right. And that's what kept coming to me super easily. And you know, you read all these books, they say, you know, do the thing that comes to you easily, blah, blah, blah. It came to me so easily that I never thought it would be a business. Hmm. Right. But, and the message was oh, like, I'm, I'm shocked to hear that. Cause no, I've, I've seen you, I've seen you speak. I, I, I pitched you for this when I saw your speaker reel. Right. I just thought like you, you breathe this stuff and like, it would be all you'd want. No, man. I, I, I wanted to just build houses and build schools. That's what yeah. I wanted to do. Okay. And my ego wanted that. Right. Yeah. The message is like everything that was flowing to me super easily was helping people get TEDx talks. And yeah. I was like, all right, I'll do it. And my ego was going to take a hit cause I wouldn't be the social good guy anymore. That's mm-hmm. how it felt. Mm-hmm. There was a death being, being happening, a death of my ego and a death of that phase of my life, the social entrepreneur. And and I was like, okay, universe, I'll do it. I promised you that I would do it a hundred times. This you're telling me to do it. I'll do it. So I started helping people get TEDx talks, which at the time I was like, I, this isn't meaningful. You know, I didn't see it. Okay. Okay. So the fast forward now helped over 200 people get TEDx talks. Yeah. It finally, dude, this is so embarrassing. Like we've been doing this for like a year now and literally what day is it today? today Tuesday is Tuesday, okay. May 14th. So last Friday. It, it, was, it was building for a while, but last Friday for the first time, did I realize what a massive vehicle for social change this company is? Mm-hmm. Like I was always meaningful and I was always into it for the clients. I loved just watching them achieve their dream of doing a TEDx talk. It was felt really good yeah. to see them on stage, but I was like, but I'd like to be making a bigger impact. Hmm. And so I would sit and watch uh, activists that, that really inspire me and I'd be like, oh, I want to be doing more, but I need to, but this is what the freaking universe wants me to do. So I guess I'm doing that. And I just had this massive breakthrough literally last week of like, wait a second. I have the power to lift up the leaders of, of, of the next generation. I have the power to shift humanity by starting the movements that will change humanity by lifting up the people that will lead yeah. them. That's what my superpower now is. I, I mean, I've got a client. I helped him get 4 million views to his TEDx talk. Wow. 4 million. This wow. is like no paid, no nothing. Like I just told him, here's exactly how you do it. Boom, 4 million views. It helped destigmatize depression. This was five years ago that I helped him do this. And like on the side again. And 
It did incredible things all over the world. Saved lives. Yeah. Right. Because abuse, this is, they, they aren't just internet points. Yeah, this is like, like individual human beings getting yeah. affected. Right. Yeah. I remember I saw a clip that you did on maybe it was your Instagram TV where you're talking about how you could track how many views your talks were getting converted to how many schools. Exactly. Like, like what is the ripple effect of my views to touching people, to getting people to take action? Yep. It's not just points. Yeah. And it's... If, you're, if someone's like listening to this podcast, chances are they're a leader and they're a messenger. They're here to share a message with the world. You are. You're the one who's got the podcast. You're fucking messenger, like, hands down. I am. That's why I speak, right? Yeah. I used to be terrified of public speaking. And TEDx Talk was my very first public speaking experience of my life. You should check it out and just, like, pause it five, minute, five seconds in. See how <laughs> red my face. I'm sweating. Sweaty pits. It's like my mouth sounds like I was just chewing on a bag of cotton, you know? I'm like schools and it's just embarrassing to yeah. watch i look at it i'm like oh god shut that off but but anyways that was the the first talk and now we've helped you know 200 people land tedx talk we, tedx talks i'm get, i don't know how many millions of views they have cumulatively yeah. Yeah. but we have the power to shift humanity by lifting up these 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 voices and so mm -hmm. recently and from a psychedelic experience actually like a really deep psychedelic experience recently i was like wait a second i finally got really out of my own way and it suppresses the ego enough to give me some real, real clarity on what I, you know, would genuinely want and what am I aligned with. And I was like, you know what? I want to get women talks. Mm. I want to get minorities talks. Mm. I want to lift, like, no offense to the mid-30s uh, white males like myself and yourself in this room. Maybe you're a bit younger than mid-30s, but um, we, we, we got enough help, you know? We don't need another, we don't need anyone else kind of going like, let's like really raise up the, you know, the... <laughs> The, the white male needs some help these days. You know what I mean? Uh, and I'm not saying, I don't want to come off derogatory and say, well, women need help or minorities need help. And I believe that the speakers that are most in alignment with the world that I want to create, number one, are women. Mm. And and number two, are voices that are not being heard that need to be heard. Mm. Right? Yeah. I believe that, you know, that, that saying the future is feminine. The future, I'll add an F, the future is fucking feminine. <laughs> it is. And thank God it is. Look around. This is what a world looks like when it's, ru when it's ruled by the immature masculine. Hmm. Okay? I'm saying the world is feminine. I'm not saying it's all going to be run by women and we need to replace all men in leadership and parliament with women. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it needs to be led by hmm. an, at least an equally balanced feminine masculine person or an evolved masculine and an evolved feminine human beings. Hmm. Right? That's where we need. That's where we need to go. This patriarchy bullshit that has been, you know, happening for thousands of years. It needs to end because this is what's happening, and this is going to continue to happen. You know, we're like eleven years away from irreparable damage to our climate, right? Mm. To our like, we're literally on the. It's not even the fourth quarter. Okay, this is the last two seconds in the fourth quarter yeah. that we're in, right? Maybe the last second. Mm -hmm. And all of us, men absolutely fucking included, need to be shifting the paradigm from this separateness, exclusion, competitive mentality to creative, inclusive, f more feminine, nurturing-based characteristics, or we're all just fucked. <laughs> did it just get real? It did. Okay. It did. <laughs> so on, on that note then, before I ask my last question, if people want to know more about how to work with you, how to land that big TED Talk, where should people look for you online? Yeah, I mean, I find people have, have questions, right? Yeah. They're like, they might want to know, well, is this idea good? That kind of thing. So what we did is we hired a couple of TEDx organizers. Okay. Their job, their job in a company is to help people with their ideas mm -hmm. for free. Oh, wow. Right? So you get on a call with one of our TEDx organizers for free for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just dive into your idea, get it crystal clear on what it is, 
It's also for us, like admittedly, it's a, it's an interview process as well. Of course. They're trained to look for people that can shift humanity. Mm -hmm. They're trained to look for people that have ideas that could lift other human beings up. Okay. So they're, whether your idea is to like sell more hats or something like that, chances are we won't take you on as a client if your goal in life is to just sell more hats. Um, but they will still help you get solid on your, your TEDx idea. Mm -hmm. And if you're someone who's like genuinely impact focused, who want to start a movement, and you maybe if you're like want to get your book out there, that's actually really helping people, and that's part of the reason for doing a TEDx talk. Heck yes, do it sure. right. If you've got a business sure. that's going to benefit from your TEDx talk, heck yes. But I want that business to be in alignment with something deeper, mm -hmm. right? I don't want that business again to be just something uh, anecdotal, like something just that doesn't matter for the world. Mm -hmm. If your business is helping people in a genuine way, then I want that TEDx talk to make your business thrive. Okay. And it will. I mean, it brought in $500,000 in revenue to a company that I had. Wow. One TEDx talk. Wow. Right? It, it's, it's, one of my clients has made a million dollars in speaking fees from one TEDx talk. Yeah. He had never been paid to speak, did a TEDx talk. Now he's been paid a million dollars in speaking fees, speaking fees speak, spoken all over the world. He's now at the point, he's like, actually, I don't want to speak anymore because I'm just kind of done. I did so much. He's 24. And he's like, oh, I'm, he, I've done it so much. Because of his TEDx talk. Yeah. Right? And his TEDx, the, all those speaking fees, that means people have given him money to share his story, to share something that's genuinely going to help mm -hmm. people. Right? Mm -hmm. So he's spoken all over the world to all, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people. And he's, he's uplifting humanity by doing it. So if you're in alignment with that, if you're a big fuck yes for that, then the best way to contact me is on Instagram. Okay. I don't do email. Email is absolutely draining and it takes yeah. a long time. Um, so Instagram, my Instagram is Taylor A. Conroy. Mm-hmm. We'll link to that in the description. Yeah, Taylor Connor on, yep. on Instagram. Shoot me a DM. I'm, I'm on my Instagram all the time, an unhealthy amount. I don't um, recommend doing that, but I am. And so I'll, I'll answer you on, on Instagram. I'll hook you up with a free call with our TEDx organizer. Hop on with them. Crystallize their idea, your idea for free. They'll also be interviewing you in a way, asking you some impact questions. And if we feel like you're going to be impactful to work with, then we'll say, well, let's hop on another call and let's talk about what that looks like. Okay. You know, how long it's going to take you take to land you a TEDx talk, what that's going to cost, what the investment is going to be mm -hmm. on that kind of thing. And we've got the range, you know, someone, someone can invest 200 bucks and we'll help them with their application and their ideas and stuff like that. Someone can, we've had a client who's invested the, in the tens of thousands because he wanted us to land the talk. He wanted us to get him a million views. He wanted us to raise money for him, like all of the stuff. So yeah. we'll find something that fits everyone's budget to get you where you want to go. As long as you're a messenger and that you're going to make the world a better place. Fantastic. Yeah, that's that's how I found out about you. Was uh, I, my my fiance? She's uh, she's on your list, I think, and she was yeah. she was learning about your stuff and, and TEDx talks, and it sounds like you got a great thing going, man. Cool. So, so on we'll air in front of the whole world, what's your TEDx talk going to be on? Ooh. I'm, I'm going to have to work with a professional on that one. I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to get back to you. It, only in this case is that a good answer. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, Taylor, my final question is, how can a leader create a culture of more empathy? When did you think of this question? Mm, well, I kind of have like a, like a rough structure in general for okay. my last question. You know, it's usually something like, how can a leader, you know, take whatever the superpower of my guest is and kind of yeah. spread it around. And then, um, in this case, I, it was kind of formed as we were talking. It was like, that's where to go with this one. Um, thanks. I think that, uh, the best way that a leader can create a culture of empathy is creating a deep relationship with themselves. Mm. And when I say themselves, I mean, not, I didn't say themselves themselves as in every part of mm. themselves, the, every part, 
the dark, especially, you know, when something comes up, when you get triggered, you know, if, if, if you got triggered during, if you got triggered during this, this podcast at some point, oh, this guy's a dickhead for talking about this, or he's mm. uh, pompous, or he's too meek, or he's too mild, or whatever it is, whatever comes up, I hate to break it to you, it's a reflection of you. It's something, if, if there's anything you don't like about me, it's, a, it's something you don't like about yourself. It has nothing to do with me. Wow. It has to do with yourself. And those, that, the nice thing is, those are the good, that's the golden nugget. That's the good stuff. When you get triggered, that's something that's like, that's something pointing inside of like, oh, there's some healing that needs to be done, right? Yeah. This guy thinks he's better than me. What you're saying is that you don't feel like you're as good as me, mm. right? Or you, you feel like you're better than other people. Mm. That makes sense? Yeah. So empathy starts here. It does not even start, like people say, empathy starts at home. No, 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 in, in here, not even with your family. It starts with, your, with yourself. Only when you can get really clear and comfortable with the dark, only after that would I suggest starting to spread the light. The people that scare me the most are the people that don't even think they have a dark. Ooh. Those are the people that, that I steer far, far away from. The people that just are smiling all the time, everything's good all the time, and you can see they're so disconnected with, with from what's actually happening inside. And they're going outward, outward, outward. And they're trying to do all of this stuff. Believe me, I spent a part of a decent chunk of my life doing that. And not like looking in here. Empathy starts like deep, deep inside. Then you, you, once you have that nailed, the communication becomes louder and more clear on what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And then do that. And then, then, you, then you spread what you've got going on inside. But fix what's going on inside first. Beautiful. Taylor, thank you so much. That was so fun. Everybody, that was Taylor Conroy, an amazing social entrepreneur, TED speaker, and an interesting dude. I hope you enjoyed this. I sure did. And if you want to help us get more great guests like Taylor on the show, then be sure to give us a review, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That's a huge help, and we'll catch you next time.